Welcome to the Is It a Classic podcast. On this show, we take a look at a fondly remembered match in wrestling history and use four different categories, storytelling, atmosphere, execution, and significance, to debate whether or not the match can be considered a classic. Today, we are debating The Rock versus Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker at Vengeance 2002. I'm your host, Chad, and I'll be joined, as always, by my best friend, Daniel. Let's dive in and find out. Is it a classic? Hit that beautiful theme music. The biggest match in pro wrestling history. This is not a wrestling match! This is a fight! Climb the ladder, kid! Make yourself famous! Are you kidding me? Hey, hey, hop, hop, everybody. Welcome to the first episode, first public episode of Is It a Classic, the podcast where we take a look at classic belts in wrestling history, non-championship versions. We're talking weight belts like Hogan's and Cody's. We're talking leather belts like Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen. And of course, arguably the most classic belt of all kind or of all time, black Black Belt by Steve Blackman. Well, this is going to be a short episode because it's the Yapapai Indian Death Strap that is the most famous belt and best belt in wrestling, championship or non-championship. So we can table this discussion and uh, we'll try again next week. Did we officially end our run as podcasters uh, about 15 seconds into episode one? Yep. Well, just kidding. Obviously, everyone heard the the intro. This is the Is It a Classic podcast. Uh, I am Chad with my friend Daniel here. We are just two family men who have spent 30 plus years, some would say a combined 60 plus years of watching wrestling, uh, which makes us not at all experts, but just stupid enough to think that we can critique it and determine whether or not a wrestling match is actually a classic. And we're going to do that through four different categories, which we'll get into later. But, man, we are just so excited to get this thing put together and hope some people are joining us on this journey. And uh, as we continue to broadcast and podcast more and get our rhythm and polish down and take a look at some great classic wrestling matches. Boy, do we love wrestling. And I mean, I hope if you're listening, you do, too, or this will be horrible. But. I bet there's a lot of guys out there who loved wrestling in 1997 or 2000, right in this big heyday that we all remember. But honestly, our love should help carry you through. Hopefully, our passion, how much we've watched over the years, and our quote-unquote expertise are good enough to carry you through an enjoyable match. And we're also going to talk about some of the current stuff, maybe give you some stuff to listen to or, or seek out. If you're not a fan of the current product, maybe we'll tell you about some stuff that's clicking on all cylinders or give you a reason to watch, uh, you know, the present day stuff. Yeah, we're not necessarily, you know, watching everything from top to bottom. You know, I would call us casual plus fans. You know, we've got full 40, 50 hour a week jobs. We've got families. So, you know, we're watching the big stuff no matter what. We're catching Raw. We're catching SmackDown. We're catching AEW. We're trying to catch NXT. We may catch some pay-per-views. Um, but we're not going to talk about every little bit of news that comes out there. We just want to make it easy going, talk about what jumped out at us in the past week of wrestling, and then dive into some good old-timey stuff. Well, I can't say that I'm a th- I am couldn't do a podcast 
on my current career. I couldn't do a podcast on uh, my college degree subjects. Uh, wrestling is probably the <laughs> only thing that I would be qualified enough to talk about or that I've spent enough time mastering to um, discuss at length. So bear with us. We folks. definitely got our definitely got our 10,000 hours in. Hey, I would say that. Yes. So please, as Daniel said, bear with us. Um, but we've got a great one to kick off the run here. Uh, we're going to take a look at The Rock versus Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker at Vengeance 2002 for the undisputed heavyweight championship of, of the world and determine, is it a classic? But before we get into that, we promised you some some last seven days, some recent wrestling action. Um, should we do it? Should we go there? Let's go there. All right. Got it, Saliva. We will do it. Okay. Well, let's talk about the last seven days in the world of sports entertainment. And I think I want to start with Raw, if you don't mind. I do mind because it was awful. It, yeah, it sucked. Uh, in a word, it was terrible. It was awful. Uh, you know, it, we're well on the road to WrestleMania. We are one Raw away from the show, and uh, this one was god-awful. Uh, just to run through some of the things that jumped out to me uh, of what made it so bad. Uh, first of all, in the opening promo, I knew we were in trouble when Bobby Lashley was going to offer a tattle shot. Uh, a tattle shot, uh, apparently at Undertaker's favorite event, WrestleTwa. Anyone takes out Drew McIntyre before WrestleMania, you will be rewarded a tattle match at WrestleMania against the Almighty. At WrestleTwa, at WrestleMania. Uh, for anyone that would take out Drew, and I've just been screaming that I want some actual heat. In some of these matches, I want there to be some blood feud, and this is just classic. You know, I don't know what to do. I'm not badass enough to do anything myself, so I'm going to send some geeks after Drew. I thought Drew's behavior was really odd that he was this champion that um, said, yeah, anyone can anyone can bring it on. They don't want to fight Drew McIntyre. And then all of a sudden, he's yelling and screaming because no one's trying to fight him. And he just goes and punks out random guys that are in the locker room like, oh, what a baby face. We've got Baron Corbin now involved, uh, the heat sucker, uh, Baron Corbin. Uh, I think that was a, a personal attack on me that Baron Corbin was put in into that event. Um, you know, hey, hey, hop, hop. I love those guys. And that was actually... Uh, quite the ditty but it entertained me for the couple of minutes but i i didn't need to see the rest of it bad bunny threw a good working punch that may have been the best thing of the show was bad bunny's working punch uh, i don't think and, that was a working punch i think that was just a punch well i mean i'm sure the miz has potatoed enough people in his day that uh bad bunny throwing one at him would be would be okay and then I will say I was also impressed that Rhea's table flip directly into Asuka's face and fake teeth. Uh, I was afraid that those teeth were going to fall out again. Uh, otherwise, Drew Ricochet two minutes could have been much, much more, but main event and then Drew and Mustafa Ali, you know, okay matches, but like where's the fucking heat? 
where is the things that make me care about this? Braun and Shane, I want to go to sleep. Randy and the Fiend, I want to gouge out my ears and eyes. Uh, I hated this show, and I can't believe I am less enthused for WrestleMania coming out of a show two weeks away from it. That's my rant. Well, you got to be excited about the new feud that is Bobby Lashley versus the English language because <laughs> there's some heat right there. But, no, it, it, it was tough to watch. He stumbled over not only that promo and the title line or title, whatever he said, but he was stuttering in backstage promos. I mean, you know, it's live TV, so it's going to be tough. Sid Vicious knows all about that. How do you address those skeptics? Well, the st- skeptics and all the people have a little bit of – let me do this again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry. Um, but he's really getting to a point to where MVP needs to be his Paul Heyman, and he can just look menacing because, I mean, that was tough. And you, you really hate to see that going towards WrestleMania, being this close to it. Sometimes I wonder if these little things, if they continue to happen, if this would be the reason why he gets the title taken off of him uh, maybe prematurely or things shift because whatever momentum he's building or he had built – up until this point, fades away pretty quickly with, you know, obvious mistakes like that. Um, I, I did. I agree with you. The show was so tough to watch. I think the hardest part of it was, I mean, I feel like Jim Cornette here, but there was just so much silliness. I mean, you had the triple header of the Prestige Worldwide video. You had Shane and Braun. You had the New Day doing a game night. And then you're supposed to suspend your disbelief for an Alexis playground and all the stuff that they do with the fiend. I mean, that is just a lot for the human mind to take. And raw asked us to do it for three hours. Um, I, I liked the drew versus the locker room segment from an entertainment standpoint. Um, I can't remember who it was that just decided bucket and threw a forearm at him. I, I think it was uh, angel Garza. That was amazing. Um, But I don't know. It was kind of cool because it was just one long shot and a lot happened and he talked to a lot of different people and the cameraman was there and it was well produced. But, you know, unfortunately, just like you said, it it was pretty silly and didn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I also like how. I was like how Braun was just sitting in there. <laughs> like it's a whole bunch of geeks and then Braun Strowman's just sitting in the middle of the of the locker room and Drew walks up and he's like, what about you, Braun? And he's like, I'm going to take care of Shane O'Mac first and then I'm coming for your ass. And it's like, all right, so the, the one major guy who was there where there could have been some intrigue of taking him out is the one that's like, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, and, and he totally would have just sat there if Drew didn't wasn't like, hey, are you not listening to what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I almost think Braun was like looking down at his shoes, tying them up, being like, why am I in this feud with Shane, fifty five year old Shane McMahon, where I've got a dunce cap on my head and a report card is being thrown on screen? I look like the biggest main eventer in the world right now. It's sad. I mean. You take this whole feud and how hard it's dropping his stock. And don't forget his last real major match before this was just getting the shit kicked out of him by Bobby Lashley and getting subbed out and just thrown away like a piece of trash, which has never happened to him. Uh, Things aren't looking great for Braun right now. 
but he's got the train noises when he runs around the ring on the outside. So oh my how God, can he I... not be a main eventer? Is this the first week that they did that? No, they did it last week. It's the hocus thing. I don't know. Raw's really bad. Even if it was two hours, it would have been bad this week, which I can normally say is not the case. Um, I don't really know where we go from here. It's a pretty sad effort considering that we're going into WrestleMania. And if I remember right, aren't both of next week's shows pre-taped? I believe you're right because they're trying to get the Thunderdome out of there. So, I mean, that may be better because it gives them a chance to take a look at what they're doing and to potentially edit stuff out or edit stuff in. Uh, and maybe they can retape something, but you know, uh, Vince probably just thinks everything that they're doing right now is the greatest thing in the world, and that you know the twenty five thousand fans in Raymond James Stadium are going to be blowing up hot and heavy for every match they see. Yeah, and you can tell that these tickets didn't sell out the first night um, because they they've continued to, which I believe they stopped this week finally. But they were saying tickets were on sale for weeks. I'll give it to him. This is special circumstances, but things are looking a little scary. Your main event match. I mean, according to the booking, how could anybody buy Bobby Lashley beating Drew McIntyre at this point? I mean, I guess we'll see where the Baron Corbin interaction or involvement helps that or makes us think that this isn't going to be a quick transition back to Drew. But uh, yeah, no heat like we requested. And uh, WrestleMania not looking so hot from the raw side. You bring in Baron Corbin with one week left to do anything with him. So is you know it sounded like MVP said he was a part of the Hurt Business. They broke up the Hurt Business at the worst possible time. That does nothing for any of those guys. MVP is still okay because he's a great talker, but Bobby's weaker because he doesn't have enough backing. Uh, and Shelton and Cedric go nowhere. They, you know, Shelton got his ass kicked by Bobby Lashley, and Cedric looked like he was running away. So next week you've got Bobby versus Cedric as the go home match for Bobby going into WrestleMania. Not a big win. And then you've got Baron Corbin versus Drew maybe next week, which is also I guess okay, but. You know, one week away from WrestleMania, that's your big push. It's uh, atrocious. Well, all I got, all I want to know is, is who the hell is Sheamus fighting next week? Because he's like SmackDown six levels of badass matches week after week after week. I don't know if anybody's had a streak going this long in maybe a decade. He was great against Riddle. That is correct. He's going out there and just saying, it seems like something switched in his head where he was like, I'm just going to beat the shit out of people and let people beat the shit out of me. And that's just how I'm going to wrestle. I mean, he always had some of that when he wrestled, but he stopped trying to do moves and started trying to just, I'm going to bruise and get bruised. And uh, that, that was great to see with him and Riddle. And I think the rematch is going to be good. I'm not a fan of, they have this match and then they're suddenly going to have a rematch in a couple of weeks. I don't like that Matt Riddle loses and then Sheamus is celebrating and Riddle just almost hilariously topples Sheamus over the top rope. Like he's the pissed off baby face that he lost a match clean. Um, I mean, I know he got sort of attacked in the back, which was hilarious of just the, the fella. And like, he pushes him into the, into the speaker box or whatever back there. But Sheamus, uh, an MVP of the show, but still a terrible build for what will be a great match at WrestleMania. 
Well, the last thing I'll say is that I, I do appreciate the throwback to Scott Steiner on Nitro, uh, just squashing multiple cruiserweights that Drew did. What are we going to do? I got freaks nine days out of the week. I can give them yes. seven days in a week. Man, you ain't big pop. I'm the big bad booty daddy. This is nonstop. Um, but if you're a casual fan, you haven't watched Raw in a while, just don't right now. Order WrestleMania and we'll go from there. Yeah, since we know that we're going to get thousands of people listening to this uh, in its first week, you know, yes. just listen to us. Let us tell you what matches to watch. Go watch Sheamus and Riddle on Raw. Read the results for everything else. That's all you need to really necessarily see. Uh, and that's that should be your Raw for the week. But what about well, SmackDown? I know we, we skipped Friday a little bit. D, you want to take us through some Smack Dizzle? Yes. I mean, SmackDown was better. It's automatically going to be better because it's an hour shorter and nobody likes three-hour shows. Um, but I guess we can say that you were right. The Edge heel turn is official based on the video package review of uh, the match at Fastlane alone and the ominous music they played and how they focused on the chair shots. I guess it wasn't uh, as shades of gray as I thought. Um, I'm kind of weirded out by the build that they're doing and the points that Daniel Bryan continues to make, and he keeps harping in or he keeps harping on the fact that he earned his WrestleMania, his, his time at WrestleMania, which I'm not necessarily going to argue that, you know, he hasn't been a consistent player for a long time and his passion is there, but an edge keeps pointing this out, but he's like, Hey, I won the Royal rumble from position one and you were in the Royal rumble. So I don't know. Maybe Daniel's not saying that Edge doesn't deserve it, but he's just saying that he deserves it as well. I wish they'd clarify there. They're not doing a good job of making Daniel Bryan seem like the fighting baby face. Now they're going a little bit more towards the whiny side, which is not helpful for this match. That's what Edge was doing, but it led to the Edge heel turn, although it felt out of place at the time. Now that's what they're doing with Daniel Bryan, where he's making points that are immediately refuted by Edge. Like, that's the thing that on on SmackDown, Edge came out, and like you said, and he was making, he was telling the truth. Daniel Bryan wasn't necessarily lying. He had his perspective, but Edge is coming out there telling the truth. Like now we turned him heel, but he's no longer slimy. He's the guy in the right. So it's just sort of weird how they're doing that, but it's going to, they're still going to have maybe the best match over both nights, which is good. And Daniel Bryan, regardless of the script he was given or what he was trying to say, still delivered it awesome. And, and he is the highlight of SmackDown each week. Yeah, he's doing great. Um, I'm super hyped for the prospect of the the work in that match. I think it's going to be awesome. And I got to say, you know, Daniel came out, led with a strong promo, um, was sitting there, you know, waiting on somebody to respond. And, I mean, I have in my notes here that as soon as Edge came out, that segment got hot. I mean, Edge was spitting fire. I'm liking the intense character here rather than the just, you know, smiling, waving, kissing babies legend thing. So um, I'll take it. Um, I, I mean, I think they're steamrolling and that match is going to be badass. I don't know if you've seen, um, somebody, I think it's just been people online, not necessarily the WWE bringing up the fact that all three of these guys had to retire at one point and are now back and fighting each other in the main event. And so if you take a second and you think about the shit that they went through in different periods of their respective lives and where they're going to be come the main event of WrestleMania, it's pretty cool. 
That's really cool. I did not think about that at all. And that's an interesting piece that I hope that they bring up and sort of push a little bit, uh, even if they just talk about it during the match. You know, all these guys are fighting for something, not, not just the title but or the tattle, but uh, yeah. fighting for, you know, prominence again after all three men had to, you know, end their careers and, and find a way to restart. That's a great story for WrestleMania, a story that now that you say it was handed to them on a silver platter that they have yet to truly grasp and run, run with. But no – no fault on them. They may not have thought about it, may not have be, be in the sort of story that they're telling. They're still doing a good job with this match. This is still the best match when it comes from a uh, storytelling perspective on both I could, shows. I could see them working that into the Mania package or just, you know, kind of the, the build is almost like and building the anticipation for the match as you're going through the show or something like that. A um, couple of other little things. We had a random Seth Shinsuke Nakamura rematch for – Absolutely no reason, and it was solid enough, but just kind of a watered-down version of what they just did on pay-per-view. Um, but it did lead to the Cesaro versus Seth match being official for WrestleMania. I think that'll be good. Um, I do find it odd that it appears that Seth keeps getting locked into these type of matches where it's just like, hey, he's going to wrestle a game opponent, and he's Seth Rollins. Uh, so if I'm him, I'm kind of ready for something to sink my teeth into come WrestleMania time in the future. Um, I will say that I thought, uh, Adam Pierce's involvement in the show is a breath of fresh air. Not only is he really good at carrying, you know, the script and the role that he's given as the authority figure, um, and he does appear on both shows, but I just like the, if we're going to have an authority figure, that he's a lot more like a Jack Tunney of old, where it's just like, I'm a good guy. I'm just trying to do whatever. I'm going to listen to both sides and I'm going to make my decisions um, and use logic. So I'm enjoying that. I'm super glad that um, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are going to continue to fight forever all the way to WrestleMania. Um, I'm sure they both would rather be doing something else with some higher stakes. Um, but I think they're going to go out there and beat the shit out of each other. And, uh, you know, they're going to ignite something that only some close longtime friends could do. Yeah, that one feels just like a, hey, we don't have anything to do with Kevin Owens. Yeah, we don't have anything necessarily for Sami Zayn. Well, they will always beat each other's ass and put a, give us a good match. So we can just throw that on WrestleMania and it'll be great. And they'll loop in the documentary stuff and they've got Logan Paul coming in. So that'll be a part of it as well. And we all know Kevin Owens, you know, you look back at machine gun Kelly, he loves power bombing celebrities. So hopefully there's a chance that that happens and, and Logan Paul's up for taking a power bomb. And look, we can't complain about this because normally when they just they gather up a bunch of guys who don't have anything to do and they throw them in a battle royal or a ladder match and nobody gets over and nobody remembers it. So the fact that they're taking these two guys and pitting them against each other, this is kind of like they did at WrestleMania 17 when they quickly realized a few weeks before the show that The Undertaker and Triple H didn't have anything to do. So they made them have a match and it was awesome. Um, You know, obviously these guys are a little lower on the totem pole, but don't tell them I said that. And they're listeners too. I know it. Damn it. We should, you know we this, should, Daniel. We should Fuck. edit this out. Sorry, guys. Um, yeah, we'll edit it out. They won't hear it. But the uh, social media people's main event uh, in these day and times, these day and times, what the hell does that even mean? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Excuse Roll me. with it. <laughs> let's just go. Let's just call it Bianca versus Sasha. Um, still not really going anywhere. Um I'll try to give Bianca credit. She's really smooth as silk on camera. She is, she's a star. 
Um, but I didn't appreciate that she was clearly handed a script that was like, hey, put the kids to bed because you're not going to want to see they're not going to want to see what I do to Natty. And then she just kind of wrestled Natty in a match and didn't follow through with any of that viciousness. Um, but she did give Sasha a receipt for that potato slap from Fastlane. So it looks like they're one and one there. And if the build to this match just revolves around them slapping the absolute hell out of each other. I guess it's better than Lashley and Drew at this point. Yeah, I, I put the kids to bed that I don't have yet. Um, and I was surprised to see that, you know, just brutal, brutal catches catch can wrestling. It was such a, oh, man, I still, my stomach is still in knots. I mean, I'm so, I'm so glad. They should have said if you're weak at heart, they should have played one of those don't try this at home before it. But, you know, just to warn people more, but, oh man, I yeah, do so hope, I do hope though they, they, they get to, they get to WrestleMania and in the match, there needs to be at least like a boo slap part between Bianca and Sasha. They've done enough of that to where it should be a spot that they somehow work into the match. So a couple little nitpicky things I want to see if you notice. Number one, to Sasha's credit, this is the first week I heard her pronounce Bianca fluidly. So I'm happy about that. But also from show to show, um, you had a match on SmackDown, Ziggler versus Ray, where Ziggler picked up and powerbombed Ray to hell over the guardrail into the Thunderdome. And so then they cut to a break and they come back and everybody's just fine. And like Dominic's not even acting like a big move happened. And Ray and, and uh, Dolph are just back wrestling a match. Whereas on the flip side on raw, they had Omas uh, press slam. Uh, I don't know if it was Kofi or if it was Xavier, but he press slam one of them. It was Kofi over the barricade as well, which I know he's taller, but it's just kind of like you, you toss the guy and allowed him to catch himself and kind of drop on his stomach. Whereas Dolph Ziggler like slammed Ray with, you know, all the force he could muster onto his back and his head. And the results were completely different. So I don't know what the hell's going on behind the barricade at the Thunderdome in front of the, you know, pixelated screens of the fans. But um, we definitely have some weird um, lopsided booking going on as far as like what they might actually be landing on back there and how they're going to portray it on camera. I can explain it if you want to hear the explanation. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm very confused. Yeah. I called my buddy, Jimmy, one of the gaffers at WWE, you know, I've got his number in my phone and I asked him about it and he said that, you know, Kofi, yes, he was coming from that high up, but he was coming down, you know, pressed flat on his stomach, you know, almost like a belly flop on the floor. Well, Ray is such an athletic and smaller guy that although although Ziggler power bombed him, he was able to immediately land and back somersault roll. So it didn't hurt him as much because he was able to catch himself and do that roll because he's done it, you know, dozens of times and you just didn't get to see it behind the barricade. So Jimmy was telling me that, you know, Ray's all right. Um, but, it, you know, Kofi took that hard fall. So, I mean, clearly that is exactly what happened. So that, that explains it logically. I'm just too casual of a fan. I've got to, I've got to put more hours in. Yeah. You need to get yourself the phone number of a gaffer and uh, get that stuff explained to you. Step one. Step one. Definitely. 
Uh, well, anything else on SmackDown you want to talk about? I don't know that I have anything else to add to the notes that you that you had. No. Except for uh, where's the heat? I'm going to say it this week. I'm probably going to say it next week. You know, uh, everything is sort of a rush job a little bit. I I do I do think Seth and Cesaro are going to go past WrestleMania, so that's okay. But you know, Biggie and and Apollo they've been going for a while, but it doesn't feel as blood feud as it needs to. It's more about Apollo's terrible accent than anything. Um, I, I and by the way, I'm ready for Biggie to get serious and just start murkin folk you know i'm ready for him to to not drop the full new day like i don't think he needs to lose all of his personality but uh he needs to get a little bit of that five count biggie in him and i hope that wrestlemania is a chance for him to do it although i know it won't be um but otherwise where's the heat where is it where'd it go well i know one place there's heat and that is aew aw dynamite uh, if Raw sucked and SmackDown was okay, AEW was hot fire and not dumpster fire, but actual regular hot fire, hot bonfire. I don't know. They're burning up. It was great. Uh, a, a great show. A lot of good wrestling on there. A lot of great storylines together. I thought it kicking off with Kenny Omega and Matt Seidel was uh, a great match. That was very well done. Kenny Omega continues to be, a workhorse, uh, which is great. Um, I thought to me, the best match of the week of anything I saw was the, uh, the Lucha brothers and Laredo kid versus the young bucks and Brandon Cutler. I thought that was just nonstop action. Uh, you know, they, they told a good story. They told a great story in the ring and the way that they worked. It was, was very well done and Cutler taking the fall is the best guy to take the fall in that match because the Bucks as the champs don't lose, but you still set up challengers and, and contenders there. And of course they ended the show with Darby and John Silver, you know, with the TNT title match, which was also just uh, another amazing, another amazing match on the show. So uh, lots of storyline development, which was good there between Omega and the young Bucks. Um, you had QT Marshall and Cody with what was admittedly sort of a weird, a weird promo, but they're setting up that like coach mentor um, thing and getting that storyline going. And then I thought Britt Baker's promo uh, was great, uh, was a great promo uh, as well. You know, she continues to prove to be the almost MJ, MJF of the women's division in AEW. So I thought that was great to see as well. Thoughts on all that? Dude, Sidell has still got it, doesn't he? He does. I mean, that, that match was fucking sweet. Um, I thought that they did a, a better job of balancing some of the big moves while not going too over the top, as has been my complaints about previously the Ray Phoenix and Matt Jackson match. Um, although I did like that better on the second viewing, and that's a little nitpicky, but I just thought that match was fantastic. I mean, that's how you open a show. This show did so many things right. This is such a juxtaposition of two companies right now because on the WWE side, you have a lot of matches that are already in place. And so now they're actually having to just build time and build towards existing matches. Whereas you're in this sweet spot with AEW where their pay-per-views are a little more stretched out. So you just have some of these angles where we can progress the story a little while, but we're not just forcing two people into a segment together because, hey, they're going to have a match in three weeks. And so, you know, they don't need to interact with anybody else. They're rolling along. The stories are coming together. 
real intricate life. There's small things happening. There's little things you can pluck from last week and carry over into the next week. It's really, really awesome. And it didn't feel jumbled. So when you have the difference, you have Omas versus Omas and AJ Styles versus the New Day, and we have their match set. So what the hell are they going to do this week? I don't know. Let's just come up with a segment and we'll do a game night and then we'll do it. You know, it's ridiculous. Whereas with AEW, things are getting a chance to breathe. They're getting a chance to progress naturally. And they don't always do the best job with this. But right now they're doing it really well. I mean, how many little segments were cool? Like, how can you not love the Dark Order segment where they're where they're doing fake coffin drops, you know, that look like a trust fall to each other and getting out of the way? I mean, (laughs) it's. They are they are just great. Um, I mean, talk about a hodgepodge of guys just making it work. Um, you know, and AEW also is doing a lot of little things that I like. They're doing things like um, if you have a guy who hasn't had a lot of television exposure, um, they'll put something by his name on his graphic when he comes out. Um, was it Cesar Bononi that fought um, Hangman this week? Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard never heard of the guy. Nice big guy. Well, they went ahead and let you know that the last time he wrestled or when he wrestled on Elevation or whatever he wrestled on last, he beat, he defeated a certain other wrestler. And they're just letting you know, like, hey, this guy hasn't just come out of the sky. He's been wrestling. He's up and coming. In fact, he just won a match recently. Something like that just really does something. And then you have a guy like Adam Page who is doing all the little things right. That guy is an absolute stud and superstar right now. Um, I don't know. How can you not feel good about the pro wrestling business and the future of all these guys when you watch a show like this? Yeah, that's where, as you know, you've heard me talk about in the past where they do so much right and they have so much going on that sometimes the thing that's right in front of them, they miss. You know, we've got the the arcade match next week, which uh, they did have something on this show for it, uh, but it should be the big match next week. So there should be the big go home angle where instead, again, it was just a a video package this week. And so those are the, those are the little things that I think that they can sure up. It'll be better. You know, they're supposed to get another hour on TNT at some point this year. So maybe that, that extra hour will help with that, or they can shift some stuff around and they can utilize that time better. But I mean, I will take them missing that type of thing because I know I've, they've gained trust that they will deliver on that arcade match and I will enjoy it. They've gained the trust from me that when they get to their pay-per-views that they will have badass matches that make sense, that all have a, a good story leading up to it, although they may peak at different times. And that I can turn on Dynamite, and even though you're telling me, if I told you, Daniel, that a guy named Darby Allen and I showed you a picture of him, was fighting a guy named John Silver for a – uh, a television or the the number two singles title in a federation, um, you know, a year ago, what would you tell me? Well, I mean, I just wouldn't watch the show and that's what I didn't do for a long time. I wouldn't give it a chance because I flipped on the television. I took a look at these guys and I'm like, this is obviously a big group of cast offs and I don't have time for this. You made and me now- give it a shot. And now look what they're doing with it. I mean, I love everybody on the show top to bottom, or I can at least, except Cody Rhodes, which maybe we'll get to in a minute, and Brandon <laughs> Cutler. But but they're they they've got they've got things figured out. There's some magic happening. And some of these guys look like they might be five foot four, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can suspend my disbelief. I can watch these guys because they're giving me reasons to care about them. And it's good shit. So if I'm telling you not to watch Raw, 
I'm definitely telling you to turn on TNT on Wednesdays because you know what that means and watch AEW. It's awesome right now. It's great. Uh, and those five, four guys are, have built characters, characters that you understand after seeing them once. You know, you see the Dark Order tonight. If it's your first time seeing the Dark Order, you'd be like, this is a, a fun-loving group of guys that support this this guy that's going out. And he's the meat man and Johnny's hungry. Uh, and everyone can work and can go. And they're allowed to be themselves. And they're allowed to, to you know, uh, say say what they need to say to get their own angle over. I mean, we talked all – we talked about the entirety of Dynamite and still didn't even mention John Moxley and Eddie Kingston having a little promo, which was fun to see. And that's fucking John Moxley and everyone's, you know, new favorite best friend, uh, Eddie Kingston. So, um, yo, what up, partners? It's it's just I can't say enough good things about the show right now. Yeah, I mean, if I could give you a couple of thumbs up, a couple of thumbs down. I mean, I think Kenny Omega is an A1 heel right now. He is awesome. And I'll second you on Britt Baker's promo. It was money. Uh, I, where was her cut? Did you see the cut on her forehead? Like that thing healed up pretty quick or she had a hell of a plastic surgeon. Uh, maybe it just healed quick. Okay. So maybe it's not just me. Uh, so you didn't see it either is what you're saying. Yeah. I didn't um, see it. I like that they're building uh, Lance Archer towards a match with sting. I mean, he's going to have to do something of some significance with, you know, I mean, the guys in his mid forties, he looks like a million bucks. His promos are nice. Um, subtleties there are excellent. I look He's forward got Jake. to him. Yeah, I look forward to him breaking through, though. I mean, he doesn't even need Jake, and I think that's why Jake doesn't get as much time on the mic because Lance can cut his own promo. Uh, but he needs yeah. a big victory, that's for sure. Um, Christian, boy, he's just, he seemed mm-hmm. a little rusty. He looked mm-hmm. like uh, he could have used a script there. Um, him and him and Kaz need to deliver for him uh, on this week's show. Christian better come out. If you're going to say you're going to outwork everyone and you're going to be in the ring with Frankie Kazarian, who's one of the most underrated singles wrestlers that they have right now, uh, you better come out and have a great wrestling match or uh, you are going to severely hurt the beginning of your tenure in AEW. Yeah, I think I, I I do have faith in him. I think that he's going to be fine and he's going to be capable unless the age really has caught up to him. But he does look like a million bucks. He's nice and lean. Um, I expect that he'll carry out a really great match with Frankie as his dance partner. Um, but they have really juggled and dropped the ball as far as like making you care about him as a character or him making a splash. Um, that's tough that's to the, see. That's the too much to do. How do you fit it all in problem? So two people I want to rag on, and I do this every time we talk, but number one, Sean Spears. This motherfucker came out (laughs) in white boots. He came out in white boots, and he's in a six-man tag. You could tell, you could watch the mood change when Dax or Cash would tag into the ring. They came in, even if they were taking some licks or if they were giving them, they were putting salt on everything. You believed that they were coming in there to fight. And Sean's just in there taking a couple moves, no fire, doing whatever. He ends up getting the pin. He just doesn't belong. Um, I I realize that he has a longstanding relationship with Tully Blanchard, and it did make sense that he would have been brought into the fold rather than just left out here. But he is just go-away heat for me every time he's on screen. And I'm going to do a special, special call-out 
to one Brandon Cutler, who I saw for the first time this week. Are you kidding me with that entrance attire and everything? I mean, like, number one, who the fuck is this guy? You you have no introduction to the national television audience. You're coming out here with the Young Bucks, the tag team champions, the stars of the show. And you're you look like a, a dragon costume from Chinese New Year, like your entrance. attire. I mean, like you got to cut the shit, buddy. Cut the shit. I'm just saying it right now. You got to cut the shit. You're coming in here basically trying to overstep your coverage here. You're out. You're trying to outshine the guys next to you. I mean, he looked ridiculous. He takes all this shit off. And now he's, you know, 140 pounds, soaking wet, balding, no character, just got in there, you know, pretty much got his ass kicked. And then Kenny Omega kind of punked him out, called him out and sent him packing. If you knew what your segment was, dude, put that fucking entrance attire in the garbage can. Earn it. I hate it. It it's really goes to show uh, how you have to have a well set and rounded character because you never know who's going to see you for the first time. Brandon Cutler, I'm not, I don't want to go too long about this. He is a D and D cosplayer nerd type of guy. And so he does the dragon thing. So like Luchasaurus does the dinosaur thing. He does the dragon thing for the D and D stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, His name's Luchasaurus. Your name is Brandon Cutler. (laughs) I mean, you know, he's he's been friends with the Bucks for for years and he works behind the scenes and as a wrestler. He went on like a 25 match losing streak that they did on Dark where he finally got a win. <laughs> yeah, no no surprise to you, I guess. And oh yeah, so, now let's dress like a Megazord and come out to the ring. Like what the hell is he doing? Well, that's that's his character. That's who he is. Clearly turns you off and it sounds like the young bucks need to get a new friend according to you. Yeah, definitely. Well, anything else you want to add on AEW? I know, uh, I know, Cody grinds your gears, but I don't know that we have time this week to talk fully about it. No, I'm I'm really scared about where they're headed with this angle. And to me, I don't feel like Cody gets it sometimes. Um, I've seen him cut incredible promos. I can appreciate his look. I feel like he carries himself as a star. But him, you know, the gender reveal thing, lame. Um, really no play like he's blurring the lines too much of like hey i'm an integral part of this company and i help run it and i'm back here with my literal producer hat on and uh hey qt i'm gonna come out listen i'm gonna take my executive hat off and i don't want to fight you but right now i'm cody rhodes the wrestling character like dude when vince mcmahon was in his heyday and he was the biggest heel character he you didn't also see him back at gorilla you know congratulating guys on their wins but then when it was time to come out he turned it on and he's an asshole He's doing this kind of angle based a lot in, you know, like half in reality, half on camera. These things don't work out very well. And I really, really hope that he watches and reviews what's going on and sees that that this is headed nowhere. And he just needs to be, you know, the guy that comes out with a 37 man posse who get pissed at each other. If they pick out one of them that doesn't come out to save him from a brawl kind of weird. You know, anyway, I'm. He books himself, if he's doing the booking, like a baby back bitch. Baby back bitch. Baby back bitch. I still like the guy. I'm going to give him a chance, but I don't like where this is headed at all. Well, I want to leave you with this from our friend Q. This is what he wrote 
um, as a sort of review of Cody. He said, this fucking Cody guy, one week after he no-sells Penta's arm breaker thing, he comes out in a sling to make us believe a jobber has a chance against him. Cody has made his own total divas in which he is the star. This fucking guy is a bigger ego than Hogan, and I'm starting to think it's not a gimmick. I couldn't have said it better. Um, I kind of needed to leave some room for you know the fact that I haven't watched him closely except for the last few months. But it's a you know you're a babyface. You're one of the you know pillars of the company, and I know he has a lot to say about his own storylines and where things are headed. Not everything he does is bad, and oh my gosh, there's so much potential there. But and I don't know where he's going with a lot of this stuff. And Q's right on. It's just weird. It is egotistical, and I'm sure he has a lot to prove, and he probably always will. But uh, man, I just hope he can kind of put some of these demons to bed, and you know, get back to doing what he does very well, and settling down with a lot of these jabs and uh, you know, smart booking. Well, speaking of things done really well, uh, I think it's time for us to go to our main event. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event of the evening. And of course, that main event is The Rock versus Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker at Vengeance 2002. And we're going to determine, is it a classic? Now, the way that we do that is we take a look at four categories surrounding the match and we discuss it to determine overall, do we have a positive or a negative vibe on those? For positive all the way around, clearly a classic. If not, then there's some debate there and we'll decide at the end if it's a classic or not. Those categories are storytelling. So we're going to discuss, did the match actually tell a full story from start to finish? Did it differentiate itself from other matches or from those that try to do the same thing? atmosphere you know how was the heat was it above average what did the commentary team help out you know how did you feel you know that the crowd and everything else around it was adding towards the feeling of the match we're going to talk execution so was everything crisp were there any noticeable botches did things look out of place or did people look like they got lost and finally the gatekeeper the significance did this match stand out for a special reason? Did it accomplish anything new or refreshing? Was there something that happened that we've never seen before? Was it historically significant? You know, what was the significance of this match itself? So uh, I think we've got a good one here uh, with that three-way. Yeah, and remind everybody, so we'll give a yes or no as far as if we believe that this match actually um, was able to pass the threshold in those four categories. We've got to get at least three out of four of those for it even to be considered, and we can debate it. If we get all four, I think at least individually you'd have to be able to say that it is a classic, and less than three, it would not live up to that and not be able to be tagged as a classic. Um, So if you're ready, I say we get into kind of what was going into this match and some of the storylines and a bit of the uh, recent history of the participants. Yeah, take us through a little bit of the background. So this match took place on July 1st, 2002 at the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. And who you have coming into this match, you have the undisputed WWE champion, The Undertaker, who is coming off of wins of, listen to this, Ric Flair at WrestleMania 18, Stone Cold Steve Austin at Backlash. And he actually won this, his fourth title, 
from Hollywood Hulk Hogan at Judgment Day the previous month. I'm sorry, two months prior. He then beat Triple H at the height of his babyface return and run in 2002 at King of the Ring the month before this match. So that's a murderer's row. This guy is on a hot streak. Now he is kind of playing a, a kind of a chicken shit heel, more scaredy cat version uh, than you'll ever see him play in the future. So that makes things interesting. But now he has a brewing issue with The Rock. The Rock is fresh off of a sabbatical. Now he had his big match with Hollywood Hogan at WrestleMania 18. We all know how that went. But as you can tell, if you've seen that match or if you've seen it recently, The Rock's crowd responses were pretty rough in that match. Now, that's tough to judge him too harshly on that because Hogan's coming back from uh, what a nine-year absence from the WWF or WWE. And, you know, they're in Toronto. The crowd is raucous, and they're excited to see their childhood hero back. So it was going to be tough for The Rock to hold a candle to that. But at the same time, The Rock has a budding acting career. And he's about to make the largest mistake of his life and stop wrestling and go to Hollywood. Um, but the crowd senses this. They know the Internet is in its heyday, in its early heyday. So people know that he's leaving, he's filming movies, he's coming back, and he's not wrestling full time. So he did not have any other matches uh, on pay-per-view up until this point. But he did, however, come out at the King of the Ring in the Undertaker and Triple H main event. And he decided to do some guest commentary. He originally came out to confront Paul Heyman, who was doing guest commentary, and Heyman planting seeds for a future match between his client, Brock Lesnar, and possibly The Rock, or whoever's going to be the undisputed champion heading into SummerSlam that year, um, was talking a lot of trash about The Rock. So The Rock comes out to defend, him, defend himself. He runs off Paul Heyman, and he stays, and he does some guest commentary. Now, he seems to stay pretty neutral, and he's going along just fine, but The Undertaker, who was a, a really fun character and he has a lot of small pretty hilarious moments um on camera as his heel character in this in this era he uh, he's the act the action of the match spills to the outside and the undertaker just kind of looking off decides to just throw a big boot into the rock's face and it's pretty funny so he must not like something that the rock said or he just didn't like the rock's face but he decides to make an issue with The Rock. So The Rock ends up getting involved in this Triple H Undertaker match, but The Undertaker is able to use a low blow and some nefarious means to keep the title and get a victory over Triple H. So they now have an issue brewing, and The Undertaker actually requests a match against The Rock um, at this pay-per-view, Vengeance. Vince McMahon grants him, and it looks like we've got our main event set. Uh, little do we know, a couple of weeks later, there's going to be a main event match where Kurt Angle is going to take on The Undertaker, and they have a really great back and forth match full of submissions and things we haven't seen before out of both guys. And this match uh, is famous because it's a draw. Uh, Kurt Angle has a triangle locked on The Undertaker and The Undertaker has Kurt Angle's shoulders pinned to the mat. Well, The Undertaker taps out just as the referee's hand comes down for the three count. So they call it a draw. Vince McMahon decides uh, later on that because this match ended in a draw that he's going to insert Kurt Angle into the match and make it a three-way dance. So that's how our match comes uh, comes about here. Now, this is kind of a crazy time in the WWF. Um, as I sort of mentioned Stone Cold before, he has actually walked out on the company before the King of the Ring match in June the previous month. Um, I actually noticed when I uh, looked up this match on the WWE Network that the original graphics for the match included Steve Austin. Um, he's obviously nowhere to be found on this show. 
and um, The Rock's return to wrestling from the sabbatical comes on a Monday Night Raw where he comes out and basically backs the WWE and Vince McMahon and kind of denounces Stone Cold walking out. And so that is sort of the kickoff point for his appearances that now led to what I just talked about and their match coming up. So we've got a three-way dance with three super capable workers. Um, there's no super personal issue here. So once they set the match, you know, they would trade off weeks where different opponents would try to wrestle each other and the other guy would interfere. And uh, it's just going to be a good old-fashioned uh, triple threat match. The significance here as far as what's on the line is that the winner of this match is going to be the champion heading into SummerSlam and Brock Lesnar by winning the King of the Ring this year had guaranteed himself uh, a match with the undisputed champion in the main event of SummerSlam. So whoever wins here is going to be Brock Lesnar's opponent. Uh, the rock right now at this point is 29 years old and he is heading to the end of his full-time run and he's going to transition into, as I said, a large mistake of an acting career. He will have sporadic returns to the ring and matches all the way up into the present. We're still talking about a possible match between the rock and Roman Reigns in the coming years. Um, but yeah, 29 here. He and Hulk Hogan are actually tied with six WWE title reigns at this time. Um, and so The Rock is looking to break that record. Hogan actually um, tied the record and because he won the title at Backlash this year and lost it at Judgment Day. But that was Hogan's sixth. So he and The Rock are tied at six. The Undertaker's 37 years old here. He's in the middle of, as I said, his fourth WWE title reign. But this is his first since the summer of 1999, and he doesn't have one again for quite a while after this. Kurt Angle's 34 years here, 34 years old here, and he's coming off of three title reigns since the year 2000, including a weird actual victory of the linear WCW World Heavyweight Championship in 2001. That'll be a fun uh, thing we can go back and explore around the time of the invasion sometime. Um, so there's some, these are some big names. All of these guys have actually uh, beaten big names coming up and uh, rolling into this match. Hogan's Flares. Um, all three of these guys have a victory of Hulk, against Hulk Hogan coming into this match this year. And Kurt Angle actually made Hogan tap out at the King of the Ring the month before. So they're all hot. They're all in the prime of their careers, and uh, it makes for a fun build and uh, a match that I was totally excited to see. And I remember being a really good and fun match. It was very interesting, you know, realizing everything that happened around this time about with the Austin walkout and the rock with the get the F out, you know, WWE, you know, WF to WWE transition. And then you've got all of these big names that are, on this show overall, you know, Shawn Michaels and Triple H makes an appearance. Brock Lesnar's there, you know, RVD, all these big names back then. And then you've got this main event. And you're right, there wasn't really much personal going into this that made this a big heated story in the peak of that. But you've got three all-time greats, you know, in the ring, knowing then that they were going to be all-time greats. You're wrestling in this match. And I think this Undertaker, this was the beginning of the the big evil, you know, uh, American badass style Undertaker um, riding his motorcycle to the ring. So that was that was fun. And just to give a little sneak peek into the match um, before we get to it, um, for those that used to play the games, let's just say this is when uh, there's going to be a lot of wrestlers in this match that are going to store a finisher and then press L2 and L1 at the same time and do that special action of what happens there. 
So that that and uh, this match was uh, kind enough to reintroduce me to uh, Trust Company with the theme Downfall. Uh, if you remember that band back then with the sort of new metal style uh, uh, coming up. So that was also interesting to hear that I, I didn't even remember was a part of this. Yeah, this is one of those rare occurrences where they kept the song in the package and, uh, you know, didn't have to use some generic B-roll. Yeah, and I know Trust Company probably charged them an arm and a leg to do it, so I'm surprised that they, you know, kept it in because they were such a big band. Yeah, um, still waiting on that breakthrough, but I did enjoy this song. Yeah, the song was good. I mean, you put any song with sort of this style to a video package of guys like The Undertaker, uh, Kurt Angle, and The Rock in you're going to like it a little bit more. Agreed. So first, The Rock comes out. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. I got to say, it was to kind of a moderate crowd reaction. And what I noticed was that's the same reaction that the next two guys came out to. And what I realized is, is so you got Kurt Angle, who, like I said, he's just coming off of making Hulk Hogan tap out. He's on a roll. He's had some comedic matches. He's obviously in his prime and really coming to his own as one of the best workers, if not the best worker in the United States at the time. Um, then you have the undertaker who nobody really wants to boo him. Um, so everybody's excited for the participants, but they definitely didn't have an outlying guy that they were rooting for. And you could tell um, yeah, with, the, with the undertaker, this was also the dead man walking theme but we were prior to uh, me knowing that I've done it now and that I've gone and made a big mistake. Yeah. You're not going to pay yet. Correct. Um, This is the return though, or maybe he never left, but this is what I like to call potty mouth angle. So he comes out and I mean, when he turns the corner and he, he begins his entrance, he lets out two, you stupid son of a bitches within the first 15 seconds. So I'm all riled up. And to me, He's wearing his red, white, and blue camo attire, and I think it was – these are my favorite Kurt Angle – this is my favorite Kurt Angle singlet of all time. It's great. So, um, Taker, no hiccups riding the bike around, didn't run over anything, so we're good to go there. Um, I think he really came into his own the month or a couple of months before when he drug Hulk Hogan around in a leather jacket and helmet through a bunch of boxes. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I don't. Look that up. Uh, So anyway, to start the match, you've got three men squaring off. They're being cautious. How are they going to do this? They go ahead and kind of get into it by jawing with each other. Taker starts it off, starts talking shit to The Rock. As you know, they kind of have their personal issue, and Kurt Angle got inserted into this match a little bit later. So they're jawing. They're ignoring Kurt, and he takes some exception to this. And he walks up to both guys and starts waving his arms like, hey, I'm here. And then he takes it upon himself to slap both guys and uh, doesn't work out so well for him. So they both hit him with some hard right hands and they go ahead and get rid of him so they can make it a one on one match for a little while. He actually says, I'm Kurt Angle. You will pay attention to me. Kurt has several audible, hilarious lines in this match. I don't remember how many I wrote down, but I've at least got one for you by the end of the match. Um so the Rock and Taker exchange uh, some punches. They're brawling for a little while, and then Taker ends up hitting his one of your favorite moves, his leaping clothesline, uh, where he sort of flips over. So this is we've 
we've talked about some matches before and uh, later in Taker's career, he really doesn't flip very much. But this time it's at least half a flip. So I thought you might enjoy that. Um, uh, it was still the slow plotting gainer. Yeah, yeah. Something he probably should have plucked out of the repertoire at this point. JR is nice enough to let us know that this isn't about the Scorpion King or Michael Clark Duncan. This is about the undisputed title. Uh, so that really got me focused up for the match. What I wanted to know after hearing that line was, so did Eminem just steal this from JR? Because I don't know if you remember, there was a smash hit movie called Eight Mile starring Eminem and Mackay Pfeiffer. And then Eminem says there's no Mackay Pfeiffer in his 2002 hit Lose Yourself. And I don't know. I got a feeling that he was watching this match and it really inspired him to write those lyrics. It may have. And I think that's because when you know the greatness of things that you're trying to accomplish, you know, on one hand, you've got the undisputed championship. And on the other hand, you've got Michael Clark Duncan that you've really got to uh, set the stakes out. And so Eminem felt the same thing. You know, on one hand, you've got this rap career. And on the other hand, you have, you know, Mackay Pfeiffer. Yeah, I agree. But I did I, I did just find that interesting that JR on commentary already is still kind of making um, making us aware of the rocks kind of coming and going and that that's sort of a central issue and what may be going on in his head or, you know, maybe he's just pointing out that he noticed that the crowd is kind of lukewarm to the rock and they're trying to explain sort of uh, how the crowd reactions have changed over the last several months. Um, because the crowd, you know, they seem pretty mild for the rock, at least early on. Yeah. And if Michael Clark Duncan was there, uh, you know, the heat would have been through the roof, but he wasn't. So JR had to point it out. Thankful for JR there. That's why he's the best. That's right. Uh, Angle tries to get back in the ring. Taker's having none of that. Um, but then Taker gets dumped out by the rock with a clothesline. So Angle gets back up and, uh, he starts throwing some punches at Taker and then he ends up throwing Taker into the stairs and Taker, much like his friend Mick Foley, really takes that bump hard. I mean, he's so tall, so he goes into it knees first, and he flips over, and it looks painful. It was a big bump by Taker. It was like, I'm going to run my kneecaps into these steps. There didn't look to be like any turn in, take it on the thigh, you know, try and do a, a hop over a little bit. It was like pure kneecap to steal. This ain't ballet. Uh, so Angle gets on the apron and he gets flipped over and brought into the ring by the rock. And uh, but then Angle's able to kind of take back over and starts a little mini version of Suplex City here. He hits a nice German and then he hits some stomps in the corner. And then we have Ric Flair's obvious influence. Remember, he's come into the company. I believe 2002 was when he first came to the company. Maybe the Royal Rumble that year um, was his first match. So late 2001, early 2002. And people are doing chops galore. Kurt Angle, I noticed he had uh, his chopping hand. He had a broken finger. must have had a broken finger because he had a couple of them buddy taped together. But that didn't stop him from chopping the absolute crap out of the rock here. Uh, very stiff chops and the crowd chanting woo. And uh, so then the rocks had enough of that. He starts to do his own chops. Not as good. Um, he gets cut off, though, from those chops by a nice and another belly, belly, belly to belly suplex by Angle. And uh, I haven't seen an Angle match in a while where Angle was young, and I forget how great he was at these. Um, he starts suplexing the Rock again, and he lets out his third stupid son of a bitch. 
and he calls for a third belly to belly, but the Rock hits a DDT for a quick two and a half count. Um, at this point, the Rock gets up and he slams, uh, well, he throws Angle outside and he slams Kurt Angle into the steps. And boy, did I get reminded of how good Kurt Angle is, take, is at taking his head getting slammed into the steps or the ring post. I mean, he lets out this long, audible groan, and it just looks like he got, you know, it's not just slapping his hands against the steps. I mean, he really sells it like that hurt like hell, which it should. <clears throat> um, but he's able to throw the rock into the barricade, and he hits a clothesline, and then Taker comes back and ambushes him. So they're getting a lot of action in on each other right now. And I noticed that Taker had a small cut or kind of scrape on his forehead after he went over those stairs. Uh, so a little bit of blood there. Um, he gets Rock in the ring and starts uh, punching him in the corner. And it's kind of weird because he pauses and telegraphs the hell out of this punch coming at the Rock. I mean, for several seconds. And he actually hits it. So then he just decides to telegraph it like crazy again. And this time the Rock takes the bait, blocks it, and starts taking over until Taker's had enough and hits him with the old sidewalk slam for a two. Did you hear what Taker said to Rock as he was? This may have been my favorite audible line of the night. That first punch where he winds up, he he's talking to the Rock and he goes, "Look at me when I'm beating your ass." Because the Rock sort of looked away. Look at me when I'm beating your ass, and he hits that first punch. I think he was expecting Rock to block it, so he just stepped back and did it again. But that was yeah. that was hilarious. Look at me while I'm beating your ass. The Undertaker is audible gold at this point in his career. It's really fun stuff. Um, so Angle tries to get back in the ring here, but Taker's having none of that again. So he strikes him down, but he turns around into a raiding rock, and you think, all right, he's going to go for a rock bottom. Nope. He goes for a choke slam that he hits, and the crowd goes apeshit. Um, and Taker got up for this. Yeah, Taker, Taker got up for like this. Taker got up for this. I think there's two choke slams in this match, and Taker got up the highest out of the two. Correct. Um, yeah, the crowd's loving this. They're they're shocked, and uh, boy, are they in for a treat. So Angle breaks up the pin attempt here and starts beating on the rock. He's got the rock up against the ropes, and he starts throwing right hands, and I'm pretty sure he hits him with about 40. Um, they're well done, but geez, I mean, I think you would have killed the guy at that point. Um, the Rock's able to kind of finally get up and reverse a whip into a clothesline, and he locks in the ankle lock after that. So here's your second of the stolen or stored finishers um, from these guys. Angle didn't have any of that shit. He flips out of the ankle lock pretty quickly, as he should know how to counter it pretty well. And he actually catches the Rock in the rock bottom after this. So there's number three. So at this point, You've got everybody exchanging finishers. Angle just hit the rock with a rock bottom, so he's going to go for a cover. Well, Earl Hebner tries to get down to make the count, but he can see the Undertaker running off the ropes to try and do something, so he doesn't make the count, stops and gets out of the way. But then Taker kind of notices that he was trying to break up a pin, so Hebner, get, Hebner gets into position to count again, but then never gets to it because Undertaker drops a legs on, drops a you know big leg drop on the guys. It's kind of odd. It was a hilarious looking leg drop. It was um it was like Undertaker went to hit it but had his leg up a little bit because uh the way that uh Angle's head was on the rock, their heads weren't together, so he's either gonna like get in between both of them or like seriously hurt the neck of Angle while he's trying to do the, the pin cover. So he just sort of like landed on his ass and had his leg leg at an angle. It was weird. It worked well enough. 
you know, I'm pointing out some of these things, but I got to say, you know, these guys have been working a pretty fast pace and well-worked match up at this point. And the crowd is absolutely loving the move swap. So they're going to get one more here. Angle attempts an angle slam only for Taker to dismount off of it and hit his own. And his is way more devastating than I remember the angle slam being probably because he's seven feet tall, but he put some steak sauce on this one. Uh, Rock breaks up that pin and uh, now each guy, you know, kind of fights to their feet here. So Taker starts hitting the rock and the rock takes a couple punches, but then he nips up and uh, he's a house of fire here. He has a clothesline on Taker. Angle attempts a running move, but Rock uses his momentum against him and just kind of throws him outside of the ring. Kind of looks like they would all, like the rock would always do to uh, Sean Stasiak. And um, so Taker ends up taking a spine buster here as people's elbow time. So the crowd, the crowd now, they love him some rock. And they've been getting big move after big move after big move. So they are into this thing. Um, before he can cover, he does hit the people's elbow, but he can't get much of a pin because Angle pulls him out of the ring and then drops him sternum first on the announce table so he can slide in and try his own pin. Gets a near fall, but you know we didn't really buy that one. But the pace is really lightning fast here. So I was really enjoying that. Um, and I will say at that near fall, uh, I was distracted a little bit because a very concerned man dressed up as the cat dressed up as China stood up to check on the pin. He had the straight black hair going down like the cat did when she dressed up as China and he was in full China outfit and he had some abs on him. Good for him. But he was very concerned that angle was going to steal this pin here. So uh, luckily for him, uh, Taker kicked out. I think he would have been doing some sweet consoling if they would have let him. That's some sweet, sweet consoling. So Angle and Taker duking it out here in the corner, and uh, the crowd's actually letting out a pretty big and loud Rocky chant at this point. So, like I said, no longer mild for the Rock, and I'm there for it. Uh, Taker hits a running kind of avalanche in the corner, and then Angle misses another corner charge and ends up hitting the uh, opposite side ring post with his shoulder real fucking hard um, and he falls out of the ring so taker decides to take a little short breather and then he gets out of the ring starts putting some more beating on kurt including ramming him into the post and like i said kurt takes these like nobody's business um it just looks like you know there's no protecting himself he kind of goes into a brock lesnar's uh, famous for doing the same thing when they go into a post they're going into the post yeah he hits him with that uh, buttery mashed potatoes Buttery mashed potatoes. A whopping pound and a half of barbecue chicken and ribs and buttery mashed potatoes. Um, so Taker can kind of sense the rocks coming up behind him and they turn around and start throwing punches. But I noticed the rock was kind of making a funny face and he shows me why pretty quickly thereafter because he has a big mouthful of water that he spits in the Undertaker's face. Um But it's not even enough to do much. Like Taker is not happy about that and takes a couple punches, but he ends up you know, kind of mansplaining to the rock that he's much bigger and can uh, brawl better than he can. I'm so glad he didn't sell the water to the face. I'm so glad he didn't sell like, oh, I'm blind because it was just water. And I also like how the king after that was like, ha, it was my water. Like he saw the rock <laughs> do it, but didn't want to say anything on commentary until the rock actually spit it. So he didn't he didn't uh, ruin anything. And then he was so excited that the rock spit his water in Taker's face. That's awesome. So by the time he's done with the rock, he goes over to get some more Kurt. And this is where you notice that Kurt is gushing. And uh, so Kurt's bleeding pretty heavily from the forehead. Taker drapes him over the apron face up and uh, nails a big leg drop. 
So then he gets back in the ring and Angle just kind of, you know, slowly rolls back in as well. Taker hits a pretty hard headbutt on Angle. And uh, every time Angle gets close to the mat right now, you can see a lot of those drops of blood just kind of coating the ring at this point. Um, so Taker then goes for the old school where he, you know, rings the arm, walks the top rope. And instead of coming down and hitting the arm, he actually comes down with a fist right to that cut on angle. So I thought that was cool. Nice little Um, touch. He goes for a pin, but the rock gets back in to break it up. And uh, the rock punches Taker now about 40 or 50 times, but he stops for his last big one. And he does his, he's so fantastic at this. When he decides to mock somebody in the middle of a punch exchange, it's money. So he does like Taker, like he mocks Taker, like he's riding a motorcycle. Riding a motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. And puts that last hit on him. Um, but Taker also not having any of that and hits a fucking swinging DDT and the rock bounces off this. The rock bounces off the mat like a fucking basketball for two and two thirds count there. He takes a stunner style bump from the DDT. Yeah, I, I thought he was going to backflip even further than he did. So I'm glad he kind of reined it in and saved that for Austin matches only. So at this point, The Undertaker's ready to uh, get this thing rolling. He holds out that hand. He starts measuring for a big choke slam. But he can see that Angle's kind of stumbling around, and Angle's got a chair. And so Undertaker does slap on the choke, but as soon as Angle gets close, he lets it go and dispatches Angle. Uh, so then The Rock and Taker take uh, turns, kind of volleying punches and just slapping Kurt Angle around. And then The Rock dumps him out with a clothesline. Um, and he attempts a rock bottom on the undertaker, but it gets reversed into that choke slam and Oh, but he doesn't, I'm sorry. He doesn't get that choke slam. Excuse me. Even though undertaker slaps on the choke, the rock in an odd move hits a low blow here. And I think it looked like Hebner was in a decent enough position to where he definitely saw it, but they try and cover it up or just kind of get on with it by having Hebner take a bump here. And it comes from, it was shove. so weird. Yeah, Hebner sort of like got someone shoved into him and he f- fell down a little bit and he was like checking on his own ankle or something right before this low blow. But it's a triple threat match. So the low blow, like the chair's coming into play. So Angle was going to use a chair and the and Hebner wasn't saying anything, but a low blow we have to do away from the ref. It was a weird part of the match. And aren't triple threats inherently no DQ? Yeah, it, there was no need for Hebner to go down there. Yeah, so it's definitely a lazy-looking rock gets shoved into him and Hebner goes down. At least in Hebner's defense, he doesn't stay down long like he normally does. Um, I think Mike Kyoto is the absolute fucking king of that. I mean, if he gets shoved down, he's down for 10 minutes. Um, so Hebner stays down just long enough for Angle to take advantage, and he hits a grand slam chair shot to Taker. And... Uh, even Kurt still looks dazed here, but he manages to hit an angle slam on the rock. And so now you have all three men down and uh, angle, you know, he's still loopy from his, his, uh, you know, big gusher and hit on the post. So he's slow to cover here, but he tries to cover each guy, he tries to cover uh, the undertaker first from the chair shot doesn't work. And then he crawls over and tries to cover the rock from the angle slam. Doesn't get either pin, obviously. Um, so, but he is the first to stumble back up to his feet here, and he calls for an angle slam. So he he goes to kick the rock, which I can't remember if that's uncharacteristic or not. If he used a kick to set up 
around this time, a lot of people just started using a short kick to the gut to set up almost any move. So I wouldn't say that it was totally out of character, but it doesn't matter because the rock catches it and he locks on a sharpshooter. Um, Angle starts threatening to tap and Taker is able to hit a big boot on the rock to kind of break things up. What do you Taker, think about that sharpshooter uh, from a from a rating of rocks sharpshooters? We know he wasn't the best at it. What did you give it? I'm not the biggest fan of the rock sharpshooter. Um, but I, you might be surprised by this. I actually like the rocks better oftentimes than somebody like sting because I would rather him be stood up tall and arching back and looking like he's getting a lot of torque rather than the guys that end up just kind of really sitting down and not sitting down on the back, but sitting down on the back of the legs to where it looks like they just are holding the guy's calves back a little bit. So it's, Middle of the road for me doesn't take away from the match for me. I think when I originally first started seeing The Rock do the sharpshooter, I wasn't a fan, but I've seen so many shitty sharpshooters that it falls kind of in the middle and doesn't take away from me. What do you think? I thought this one was a three and a quarter star sharpshooter. Oh, you liked it. Uh, yeah, three and a quarter star, you know, by the book, down the middle, didn't offend me, uh, wasn't great, but solid, didn't take away from the match like some of his sharpshooters did in the future. Yeah, some of this may have to do with the fact that it was Kurt Angle taking it, and he just knows what he's doing. Uh, yep. But Taker kicks this thing in a high gear and actually hits the last ride on the rock. But when he goes for the pin, Angle grabs him and grabs that ankle and drags him away. Crowd's going nuts here. They're rapid firing, big moves, big spots. Taker's able to somersault out pretty quickly, and then he attempts a last ride on the Angle. And in a cool callback to the SmackDown match and how we got here in the first place, when Angle's hoisted up into that elevated powerbomb position, he locks on a triangle. And I will say that this quote-unquote triangle is pretty sloppy, but Taker sells it like it's choking him pretty good. It's just Angle's legs are just kind of crossed. Um, it doesn't really look like he has much dropped in. He doesn't have one of Undertaker's arms. So we're just kind of led to believe it looks almost more just like a leg scissors. Uh, but Taker drops forward, and he's going to try to pin Angle like he did in the SmackDown match, but this time Kurt Angle's ready for that, and he has a shoulder up pretty quick. Um, so he holds on to the triangle and Taker's starting to fade. He starts to choke Angle uh, with his right hand, and then he stacks him up and he lifts him up for a slam uh, out of that triangle. And I don't know if many of our listeners are big MMA fans. Now, Taker had to man Kurt Angle up here and pick him up, you know, from stacking him up and Angle's laying on his back, and he's going to pick him up almost into a powerbomb position again. Obviously, that's going to take a lot of strength at least in Undertaker's, you know, going for him. Angle is smaller than him, and Angle is trying to help him and sit up with him, you know, for the sake of working a good match. But if you go back and think about the most famous slam in MMA history, you have Quentin Rampage Jackson, who actually did this in real life, except he didn't have a smaller guy than him, and he didn't have a guy who was willing to help him, and he picked him up and slammed him to death. And probably the best-looking, you know, slam out of a move that, better than anything you've ever seen in professional wrestling. So while this was pretty good by Undertaker to angle, it ain't got nothing on Rampage. So Undertaker is able to hit him for a slam and get out of the triangle, and that works briefly, but Angle's not going to let it go for long. He locks the triangle back in and actually maneuvers himself on top of Undertaker and almost kind of has an arm bar going. So Undertaker's in real trouble here. Hebner starts going and checking his arm, and he let, he drops it once, he drops it twice. But before he can even drop it or even attempt to drop it the third time, The Rock breaks that up. 
Uh, so the rock now is trying to finish the match as well. He attempts a rock bottom on Kurt Angle, who then drops into a sweet double leg and locks in the ankle lock. And rock's about to flip out of it. And he does somersault out of it, but when he flips Angle over, he catches his foot in mid-flip and cradles him for a near fall. Angle um, pops up. He's still running on uh, some pretty high fumes here. And he runs forward, but The Rock kind of lets him pass, and Taker ends up hitting a pretty pretty good choke slam on Kurt. And like I said before, uh, when The Rock choke slammed The Undertaker, The Undertaker got way up. And when Undertaker choke slams Kurt Angle here, not as well. It was good enough, but it's just I can't believe how high Undertaker got up on that choke slam from earlier in the match. Um, he tries to do it also with The Rock, but The Rock ain't having none of that. Plants him with a rock bottom, and it was a really close near fall. Uh, the crowd at this point can sense that the end is near, and they're really gobbling this up. JR and King are emotionally locked in, and uh, JR you know, says, hey, we're right back to square one here. And uh, this is where anything can happen. It's any man's match for the taking. Kurt Angle really quickly in that sense snatches Rock down for a small package and gets a very close near fall. And the Rock ends up taking a big boot from Taker. And Angle hits an angle, angle slam on Taker. And then he takes his straps down. And this is <laughs> this is one of those lines I was talking about from Kurt Angle. He takes his straps down. And I don't know what all he said. But all I remember is he's looking up at the heavens and he's screaming, kiss my ass. And uh, but the rock pops up and nails an ar uh, a rock bottom and he covers him really quickly. And Taker can hear that one count and Taker pops up and he wants to go break this thing up. But as Taker swinging his arm to break up the three count, the three count actually hits. So very fast paced ending. Uh, I would say, psycho you know, the psychology was real sound there as far as like each guy trying to break up each other's pin and uh, it was a pretty hot finish, but you have the rock with the victory after a rock bottom on Kurt angle. Um, and he wins his record at the time, seventh WWE title. Um, I, I originally thought that, you know, back when I watched this match, I was pissed that Kurt angle ate the pin and I was just like, Oh, they just stuck him in there. So the undertaker didn't have to lose, but I've listened to enough of Bruce Pritchard to understand and when you look at the timeline later on, so you're going to have The Rock facing Brock Lesnar after this, and that's what they set up. But if you'll remember, after that, Brock Lesnar's first opponents coming off of The Rock match were The Undertaker. So it wouldn't have made sense for either guy to take a loss here. And so Kurt Angle taking the pin here made a lot of sense as far as how you're going to book things in the future. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I will say after the match, a couple of little notes. The Rock is laying on the ground with the belt on him, and he's giving a like a thumbs up, almost an orange orange Cassidy style thumbs up to the crowd. He's just like laying on his back, exhausted with a with a slight thumbs up, which was nice. And Jr. and King are putting over the match and the greatest triple threat match of all time. And then Taker is like looking at The Rock, and he's saying, "I can't believe it." And right as he's saying, "I can't believe it," King goes, "Taker can't believe it." Like it was perfect timing. <laughs> I can't believe Taker can't believe it. Like it was, it was pretty funny at the end there. Solid. You can only get these nuggets from multiple viewings. That is correct. Well, thanks for taking us through that match. Uh, a lot that happened there, but now the most important thing we do is to determine if in fact it is a classic. So let's start with storytelling. I want you to take us through your thoughts on the storytelling. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh, this was hard for me to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, I'm on the fence on this one. Obviously, they were telling a story. They were doing something different than they normally would in just any match with the move swapping. 
Um, you know, I even liked the, you know, they, as I said, they had the call back to uh, Kurt Angle and Undertaker, uh, their SmackDown match where you had the, the pin submission at the same time. So they did a great job of having a lot of their big spots in the match, obviously being done for a reason and doing something to tell a story. Then again, it's a three-way match. So much of the match is just going to be hitting big moves. And this really was probably one of the early versions of what I think a lot of WWE main events have been over the last couple of years where they're just spamming, you know, signature moves and finisher moves over and over and over again. And it's really good for the crowd and it's really fun if you don't do it too much. I would definitely say back then in 2002, they hadn't done that too much. So it came off really well and it made for a really fun match. I just don't know if I could say that the storytelling was classic level storytelling. It was certainly better than most. It was certainly there. But if we're going to determine this as being a classic or not, I had a hard time. I will say, though, that because it wasn't just doing each other's moves and they added that call back to the SmackDown match, that I would give it a thumbs up. I'll be it reluctantly. Yeah, I'm sort of with you where I was on the fence for this. I think I ended up at, at a slight thumbs up to me. You know, they, the telling of the story of stealing each other's finishers was something new, you know, something you hadn't seen before. And yeah, they had a couple of callbacks in there, but as a, you know, 20 minute match as a 20 minute piece of storytelling, you know, from everything they did made sense and led into the finish. They tried hitting each other's moves and they ended up hitting their own moves, you know, to get the near falls at the end. Uh, they, they're, they didn't slow down at all. You know, the pace kept going and it didn't feel like the only two men at the ring at one time type of thing, even though that's what it was. It felt like more interchangeable than you're used to like, okay, they're just getting this guy out now and these two guys are going. Now they're getting one out and these two guys are going. That's what they did, but they did such a great job with how they transitioned throughout it that it didn't feel like that. So to me, there wasn't, there wasn't enough back there or to be able to use to make the match an all-time Great classic storytelling, but I, I don't feel like I can give it a thumbs down. I'm in agreement there, so I think we can both go yes there. All right, atmosphere. Uh, I'll take atmosphere. I, I'm on the fence with atmosphere. I actually think I'm going to go thumbs down on atmosphere. You know, the crowd got hot towards the end, but there was just not enough heat in this match to really get it going from the beginning. The lukewarm reactions to these three great wrestlers to start with and the you know lack of sort of interaction throughout the match it, it took it took like everything that they had to get the crowd into it it wasn't like they were into this because of it being a, a title ma a title match or they weren't into this because it was the rock angle and taker it was like we have to hit the big moves for them to actually get into it and you know we've talked about this in the buildup to this podcast of when it's to me, when it's a second half or even a final third where the heat and the atmosphere is really strong. That doesn't to me mean like it's all time classic atmosphere. This is what this, what it was. The final third of the match, JR and King really on point um, getting you into it more and the crowd getting into it more, but it took a lot to get there. Even some of the big moves in the beginning were big pops, but they didn't sustain. So I went thumbs down on the atmosphere. 
I'm going to have to disagree with you there and go thumbs up because I thought that the commentary was good and I was appreciative of the crowd being led by the hand and coming through when they needed to come through. I've seen way too many matches where um, the lack of heat and the crowd getting bored or just not into guys or them not being over takes away from a match. And in the same way that I would say that the storytelling was good enough, I think that the crowd heat and the commentary were certainly good enough. They were not detrimental to the match at all. Um, they aren't going to be something that I would harp on if I were going to call this match a classic and be like, I mean, come on, but that atmosphere. But at the same time, I can't, if we're going past fail, I can't really fail it here. I was really happy that they ended up coming around with the rock without him really having to do anything that the other guys weren't doing. And also, you know, when they hit these moves, I'm going to actually call back a little bit, even though there hadn't been a ton of finishing moves stealing going on. There actually had been a decent amount earlier this year, at least in a major feud. And it was in the Scott Hall versus Steve Austin feud at WrestleMania 18. Steve Austin wasn't comfortable taking the outsider's edge from Scott Hall. So they had Scott Hall always hitting the Stone Cold Stunner. He did an adequate job of it, but the crowd really didn't give a shit, and it was hard for the commentators to put over that it was anything devastating. Number one, because Steve wasn't really into the match or the feud or wrestling a drunk Scott Hall, but also because it's just, I don't know, it wasn't Steve's stunner. So every time these guys did a move, they did it really well, and I was just excited that the crowd went along for the ride with them because oftentimes they don't. And I can I just gave you an example when they didn't, even though these guys did the same type of thing. So the crowd showed up when they needed to and they got really hot. So to me, it was above average enough for me to give it a pass, to give it a yes. And so I would reluctantly, again, say yes uh, rather than no. Okay, well, we're we're just going to disagree in that category. It was a good argument. I thought the crowd got into it and then immediately faded right after, which, you know, it, it didn't sustain until the end. So. Little, little different different gates there, but that's okay. This is what this conversation's about. So let's move on to execution. Uh, what would you say for the execution? I don't think there's any way that we could fail them on execution here. It's an easy yes for me. I mean, the pace that they kept up, and as you alluded to before, the fact that this was one of the rare triple threat matches where it didn't feel like they just kept tossing another guy out or hitting a big move and he laid down forever, they weaved that into how they were working the match so, so well. So they kept a high pace. They hit a lot of each other's moves, which obviously they don't do very often, and they did them very well. They worked really hard for each other, kept a high pace. There was a great, you know, there was blood. Um, I didn't remember them really botching anything. I mean, we talked about Earl Hebner's bump, and we talked about Earl Hebner with that weird uh, pin, not pin thing going on. But as far as all three participants in the match, I thought they did a really good job, and everything that they were doing was crisp. Everything that they were doing had purpose, and uh, I thought that they worked the match very well. That was a lot of big signature moves going back and forth. That was a high pace, and that's hard to do. So my hat's off to these guys. I thought their execution was excellent. They were the excellence of execution, and I'll give them a yes. I don't think I have much to add there. You know, there's no way you can say this is a, a no. This is definitely a pass in execution. They did a great job. Everything looked smooth. Everything was crisp. You know, nothing took you out of the match that they did. Uh, everything was was pretty much flawless how they did it. And there were little stuff like the yelling at each other and the transitions and like when Angle needed to blade, Taker walked over and hit the rock a few times just to keep him down a little bit more than went back to, back to Angle. So little things like that, um, you know, they were – they would look away whenever they were about to be attacked 
you know, from the side, from the third guy and, and weren't supposed to see it coming. So they did all those little things too, that, that, uh, you notice and get you into the match. So execution, definitely a thumbs up. All right. So it means the last one, the last category significance. And, uh, I want to go ahead and start this here because I already have a, a thumbs down for atmosphere and I'm going to have to go ahead and say thumbs down for significance. It was a great match. But at the end of the day, this was just a transition match into something that was much bigger. And, you know, all three men had similarly great, if not better matches throughout their career that especially meant more to them, meant more to the time. You know, there were uh, other things that when you think about 2002 that you remember more like Hogan's reign and the terrible matches there uh, that were that were memorable for different reasons. So although this is a great match, I think the ultimate significance that it had to be looked back as something that was um, historically relevant or standing out for a special reason, it stood out because it was a good match, but that's not just that's not enough to give it a yes in this category for being a classic. I have to wholeheartedly agree there. This was obviously just a way to get the belt from Undertaker to The Rock and build towards The Rock versus Brock at SummerSlam, which was a really classic build and a great feud. I wish they would have had more time. But this is something that was just kind of a roadblock. Um, each guy was going to go on to do you know very different things from here. Um, I would say that this is one of the best triple threat matches that I ever remember seeing in my lifetime up until this point. Um, But later on, I can at least point out that you had, uh, you know, Benoit, Shawn Michaels, Triple H had two all time great ones. If I remember correctly, um, a couple of years later. So seeing much better versions of a triple threat match years later kind of takes the shine off of this as far as historical significance from just a, you know, a match work standpoint. Um, Really, really good match. Very, you know, we remember something about it. So before it's just a hard no on significance, I will say that, I mean, as a wrestling fan, long time, I think if I called this match out to you, it would be easy for you to say, and before we review, before we reviewed this also, it would be easy for you to say, hey, yeah, wasn't that the one? You know, I remember that being a good match and they stole each other's finishers and stuff and it was really cool. So to me, that is significant when you can remember something that well, something stands out to you. But overall, as far as historical significance, big match feel, was this something that, you know, if I had to do a top 100 matches of all time, would I even consider putting it on the list? I just can't. But I will say my hat's off to all guys, and it was a great match. And I suggest everybody go back and watch it if you haven't seen it, especially if you haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time. But I can't give it a yes as far as historical significance. It's not a super standout match. It's just a really, really good match. Ooh, ooh. so got some tension here. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums, getting all swollen with a light blue hue to them, fresh and juicy, ready for the picking. Uh, You know, when it comes to our final determination, so I think I'm two for four, so I think you should tee me up first for this for this final uh, final answer. Yeah, so Chad, I mean, are you sure you don't want to reconsider the atmosphere there and maybe, you know, maybe you're sitting on the fence. Has anything changed your mind? What's your final call? For The Rock versus Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker of Vengeance 2002, I think it is not 
a classic. So Daniel, for that match, is it a classic? If you have three out of four categories, to me, it would take a really serious debate and I'd have to really come at you with some fire to even consider and I'd have to get you to change your mind on something. I don't think there's anything here that I can say. I don't think there's any case that I can plead. And to me personally, I would also say that it doesn't quite cross that finish line and know that this is not a classic match. I do want to say um, to our listeners, in most circumstances, if one of us says that it's not a classic, we're going to go Siskel and Ebert two thumbs up scale. You need both thumbs or you can't have a two thumbs up. So once you said that it was not a classic, although I did agree with you, under normal circumstances, that kind of kills it unless I had a really impassioned speech to try and turn the tide. And I just don't have it here. So for me, officially, it's also a no. It is not a classic. Well, all right. There you have it. The Rock versus Kurt Angle versus The Undertaker of Vengeance 2002 is not, in fact, a classic. That's okay. It was a great one to review, especially for our first episode. So I'm excited we we got it on the docket and we got through it. Uh, so now we just need to know, Daniel, what is on the docket for next week? So even though we have the limited catalog that Peacock now provides, which I'm not happy about, and I hope that we can find plenty to review, um, you know, after they get done reviewing them for woke standards. Uh, but I'm excited for the match anyway. And we did confirm that you can watch this one on Peacock. So you should all be able to watch along with us if you like. It's going to be the Beast Incarnate Brock Lesnar versus CM Punk at SummerSlam 2013. No holds barred. Ooh, buddy. That is going to be a good one to take a look at and review and i'll be interested to see if in fact that match is a classic well thanks everybody for listening to episode number one uh we hope you enjoyed it uh you can reach us you can email us if you want to leave any comments at is it a classic pod at gmail.com uh we will check that uh we may get another social media soon after that but that's where we are we'll look first for now uh but we appreciate you joining us Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Like, subscribe, rate, all that jazz. I don't know. We'll come up with a speech at the end here. But uh, uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, everybody.